A very long time ago, when I was a young boy, so four years ago, I was really into sneakers. I would collect sneakers, I would resell sneakers, and I would wear sneakers on my feet. Which is why when I got a late night email from my producer, Adam McKay, You've got mail. Telling me to make a sneaker from scratch. I just had to do it. My name's Ari Kagan. You're listening to Things You Don't Need to Know. And on this episode, I make a sneaker. I know a good amount about sneakers. I wouldn't say that I'm a sneaker expert. I used to resell them quite a bit. I could probably recognize every Jordan that Michael wore on court. I also know a little bit about the history of Nike and their waffle trainer or the Dossola brothers at Adidas and Puma. Mostly recent shoe stuff because those are the things that I collected. But I figured if we really wanted to do this episode justice, we have to go back to the beginning of footwear. So please welcome my friend who I call on for everything history related, Robert Bendelius. Hi, I'm Robbie. I'm a uh, history student, and uh, I wear shoes. I think that might be my favorite intro anyone's ever done. If you've ever walked around in the woods or on sand or on a snowy mountaintop without shoes on, it sucks. And thus, the humble shoe is born. Old original shoes that were made during quite literally prehistory were often made of leather, They used hay and fur in cold areas, or in some places that were warmer, there were sandals. The first major use of shoes that we know of within a large civilization comes from Egypt. And what is particularly interesting about them is they are not just for purpose, but they were colored differently based on your social class, which is interesting because we see again that how social class impacts all aspects of life, even we put on our feet to this very day. Well, shoes from this era might have been very useful, they still probably weren't that comfortable. There was no left and right shoes. They simply were two shoes. We see an interesting shift coming out of the Middle Ages to the Baroque period, which I think the best way to describe the Baroque period as a concept is um, pretentious. It's a time period when opera was invented. Everybody wore big wigs, their shoes, started having massive heels with huge ornamentation. At this time, still men in female shoes are exactly the same. Men in four inch heels was normal. It doesn't seem particularly comfortable to me, but go off, I guess. Unfortunately for short people, this would eventually go out of style. The two biggest things that impact our sense of footwear today are the Industrial Revolution. Shoes went from being custom made for the people who bought them to being able to churn out hundreds, if not thousands of pairs of shoes a day, thanks to machines and uh, very loose child labor laws. But shoes wouldn't really become a massive part of our culture until the golden age of marketing. Think the show Mad Men. Shoes went from being something that were supposed to last for your entire life with the possibility of some resoling to, hey look, Audrey Hepburn is wearing these beautiful pink heels, I should buy them. This consumerist culture has more or less carried on to today. Looking more towards what I should buy because it looks nice rather than its innate practicality is more how we view as a society the concept of shoes today. In my opinion, one of the best things to come from this shift is shoe design. Say all you want about consumerism and child labor, but we've come a long way in the footwear department. We went from making shoes out of straw to 3D printing them to perfectly match a person's foot. Hey, what's up? I'm Seth Fowler. I design sneakers. I review sneakers on YouTube, and uh, I'm just a sneaker enthusiast. 
Seth boasts over 750,000 subscribers, and I've known him since before he was famous. My design degree was in industrial design, which is more of tables and chairs, things that you use on an everyday basis that aren't so much fashion. When I met Seth, he was designing dog toys. Eventually, his YouTube became successful enough that he quit his day job. And before long, a company reached out to him to design a sneaker. Essentially, the way that this came about was that I was, I used to work with someone who was like really into marketing and really into video production. And then he went to go work for Gary Vaynerchuk at VaynerMedia. And he reached out and said, hey, uh, we want you to review a shoe. And um, I said, okay, cool. I saw the shoe, it was terrible. I asked them if I could redesign it. They said, yes. It was a promotional sneaker for Planters Peanuts. So I wanted to design something that looked like Mr. Peanut could wear it, but also had some of my design aesthetic to it, which is like old school basketball sneakers. Like not some of this newer modern stuff, these performance basketball sneakers where it's all like synthetic materials and meshes and, and things like that. I wanted to design something that had suede and leathers and really nice materials on it. And it looked like something that, you know, would have been on players' feet in the 80s and 90s. So my inspiration was essentially Jordan 1s or, or kamikazes, things like that. Um, and, uh, and it all kind of came together that way. And of course, it still had to have the DNA of, you know, planters. So it's bright yellow and bright blue with some black accents. Of course, it's got the planters logo on the heel. It's got Mr. Peanut's face on the tongue. How did you take this from an idea to a reality? The process for this was essentially starting off with sketching, showing the sketches to VaynerMedia and Planters Peanuts, getting their um, their approval on them, and you know, slight design changes. For example, I originally had a uh, signature across the tongue, but they told me they wanted his face across the tongue. Do you do all this in a computer, or do you sketch it out in a physical notepad? I really like doing it in a notebook because you can really just play with the shape, and you're not too constrained and feeling like you have to make it look good. Initially, I'm not thinking about so much how the shoe will fit on your foot, where different laces will go and things like that. I'm just trying to nail down the initial overall form. Seth then opens his notebook and shows me some of his designs. This one became, actually is gonna become a shoe that's coming out later this year. His designs are very flowing and almost remind me more of cars or waves than sneakers. Yeah, this is sort of the initial concepts for that. And then it kind of morphed. It's a very um, early 2000s style running sneaker. I was inspired, so I grabbed my notepad and started drawing. I want to do something that looks a lot like a sock. I like the, the free-flowing nature of the sock. I like the, I don't know how I'm going to make this a reality, to be perfectly honest, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with this design. So I've got my design. What's the next step? From there, it's really finalizing the design. So it's it's taking it into something like Photoshop, um, figuring out how all the panels are are placed on the shoe, what their almost their exact sizes are going to be, and coming up with the different views of the shoe, like the top view, the side view. What you usually do if you're not a pattern designer, which I'm not, um, you'll send these images to a pattern designer, and they'll basically take a, a shoe last, which is essentially just um, a plastic foot and they'll put tape over this plastic foot. Basically sketch your design onto this plastic foot and then um, cut up all the different panels out of the tape and create their pattern from that. Unfortunately, as much as I begged my producer, Harry Nelson, he wouldn't give me $800 to go to a factory and get a sample shoe made. So I guess I'm gonna have to do it myself. So I hopped on the subway and went to Queens to find some materials. Will I look for stuff to make the shoe out of? I figured we'd at least learn a little bit about how factories make a shoe. Here's Seth again to talk about that. The pattern designer will send the pattern to the cutter. The cutter will then cut out the pattern from the materials, and then you'll have someone sew it all together, and then you'll have someone um, 
put the sole on and sew that on, so it's a pretty labor-intensive process. And that's just to get a sample. If the shoe actually goes into production, it can take a lot longer. Design can take years. Like, I, I have some friends who work actually at Nike, and they said that, you know, last year when I last talked to them, the designs that they were working on were like from 2024 and 2025. So they're designing shoes, you know, three years down the road, and they're probably getting samples, you know, a year from now, and then they're really starting to ramp up the production process. So it's a much longer drawn out process when you work at a bigger company, but in a lot of ways, you know, the shoe is a little bit more finished, a little bit more um, solid because you've had multiple people look at the design, you spent years perfecting the design and that's why I think it's a lot harder for smaller companies to create performance driven shoes because they don't have that that access after the break I make a shoe another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. So I did a little research and I kind of realized that the only shoe that I'd be able to completely make from scratch would be like a slipper, something with a soft midsole. Maybe it's made out of leather. Basically, I just don't have the ability to mold rubber, but I still want to make a sneaker. So I have a bit of a compromise. I'm going to be using a midsole from an already existing shoe and build my upper on top of that. All right, I've gone to the Nike outlet in Queens to look for a pair of shoes. There's honestly not that much here, but I found these things. They are the Nike Everton Low. The Burnin'. The Burnin' Low. The shoe closely resembles an Air Force One, almost as if someone tried to make an Air Force One, but was doing the whole thing from memory and had only seen them one time. For those of you who don't know Air Force Ones, they're just a simple Nike sneaker. They were first released in 1982, and Dr. Dre wears them a lot. So I had my midsole. But otherwise, I could do literally whatever I wanted. Seth, where do you get your inspiration from? Inspiration-wise, I've been I've been obviously inspired by a lot of those classic designers, the sneaker designers like Tinker Hatfield, um, you know, even sneaker engineers like Tiffany uh, Beers, even more modern designers like John Geiger. Um, people who are really like, they're doing it, they're out there doing it. And you know, of course, with someone like Tinker Hatfield, it's easy to find inspiration because he's designed so many classic shoes. But inspiration can come from anywhere. And I think it's uh, just a matter of how, what sort of mind space you're in in that day, you know? What really makes your, your mind get excited? And for example, this morning, I was drinking a nice cool soda. You know, that could be something that could inspire me, like you said. It could be a nice maroon uh, colored shoe. So yeah, it could be anything. I'm really inspired by the shoes that look like socks. Specifically, the Balenciaga Speed Trainer and this one Alexander Wang Adidas from like four years ago. And I know a lot of people hate these types of shoes, but you know what? It's my sneaker. I can do whatever I want. So I'm making a shoe that looks like a sock. Yo. We're live. On the phone with me now is my friend Chris. My name is Christopher Frangoulis. And you 
have made some shoes by hand. Yes. So we're just focusing on my recent projects of sewing shoes and uh, repurposing materials and all that. That's correct. We're going to forget about your entire history as a legitimate sneaker designer. Yeah, that's all right. None of that shit matters anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into it? How did you how did you do? How did you say I'm going to make something with my fucking hands? Well, it was like a product of COVID being stuck inside. I kind of just figured in my head, I've learned a lot more complicated things than like sewing, measuring and gluing. It sounds like a daunting task, I guess, when you think about it or maybe people's expectations are too high, but it wasn't really that crazy of a, it wasn't that hard. Where did you, where did you begin? Well, the, I guess the idea came from that I had so many shoes that had no resale value and I didn't want to wear them. So instead of like selling them for a couple of bucks and going through that headache, I just started cutting up shoes I knew I wasn't going to wear without any real purpose for them. I just knew I wasn't going to wear them and I liked the materials that they offered. So I just started deconstructing shoes. Well, I wasn't so much deconstructing as I was like reverse engineering, you know, and just kind of trying to figure out what they were doing. You know, I never, I didn't make a shoe from scratch. I was just using a bunch of kind of, you know, just materials from other shoes and just putting it all together. This is pretty much exactly what I'm going to be doing. All I needed was a midsole that had some fabric sticking out of it. You know, something that I could attach other things to. Like I said earlier, taking apart a midsole or making one from scratch is incredibly difficult. And if you want the shoe to actually resemble anything, you need lasts, which are essentially plastic, wooden, or metal foots, which you build the upper around. The process of gluing a shoe down to a midsole is not easy. So I just worked with what I had and just kind of trial and error. I sewed a couple shoes together and like, you know, they blasted and fell apart. So I figured that I needed to buy better better yarn or better, you know, higher quality materials. It would be more interesting <laughs> if I could show you, but it's really just me sitting at my desk, fucking around with a needle, you know, and a thimble for hours on end until I made something that looked decent. So here we are, I've got some hot glue and I'm gonna try to make something that looks decent. I began by taking my midsole, grabbing my X-Acto blade and just cutting the upper from the midsole. I could do this with a seam cutter and boiling water, but that would take a really long time and probably mess up the structure of the shoe. Then I got the socks that I was planning to use for the upper. Yes, I am literally just using socks. They're actually very nice socks. They're green, uh, maybe like a, I would say it's like a dark blue and a dark green mixed together, stripes. They're quite nice. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can hear that. That's the sock. I grabbed some cardboard and cut out insoles just to give a little bit more structure. I think this will help the glue stick better to the midsole as well. I then got out my gold spray paint and painted the midsole. Once those dried, I stuck my cardboard insole into my sock and hot glued it to the midsole. I know it's a lot of big shoe words here, but basically I put a piece of cardboard in the sock and glued the sock to the already existing shoe, which meant that they were finished and ready for wear testing. These are way too big for me, but I'm putting them on. They're, they're comfortable, but they're very slippery. Luckily, I had some sticky foam rubber laying around, so I put it on the bottom of the shoes. The gold midsole and the green and blue striped sock reminds me a lot of the Kimpton Schofield Hotels, specifically one that I stayed at in Pittsburgh. It's a really, I think it's a really classy design, if I'm honest. So with a finished product, a shoe that I had made mostly by hand, I called up the person who sent me on this wild goose chase in the first place. 
My producer with size 12 feet, Adam McKay. This is the shoe. Oh my God. That's not bad. Thank you. They're actually, they're your size. So I'm supposed to send them to you, but. Holy shit. I'm impressed. You'll get them in hand and you won't be. I mean, just that you made a shoe, like it's, considering you made it from scratch, it's, that ain't bad, man. Well, folks, you heard it here first. My shoe ain't bad. If you want to see what it looks like, I've actually uploaded a YouTube video about it. You can find it at youtube.com slash Kagan or just by searching Ari Kagan on YouTube or Google. And with that being said, thanks for listening. Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyper Object and 3 Uncanny 4 production. The show is written and edited by myself and produced by Harry Nelson and also me. Additional help from Shane McKeon and Nuna Sharafuddin. Our executive producers are Adam McKay and Laura Mayer. The show is mixed by Nice Manners. If you like things you don't need to know, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you leave a review, I will send you a pair of my shoes. See you next week.